This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart. And that's why I use mecha education instead of STEM education to describe the project-based or broader type of education approach to learning that I think is necessary in order for you know the current generation growing up to be able to deal with problems in 2050 and beyond. That's Peter Dalmaris reflecting on some of the deeper issues surrounding STEM education and my guest today on Central Station. Hello, I'm Colin Klupik. Peter Dalmaris is an online educator, engineer and electronics hobbyist. Peter has a diverse background as an educator and learner. He's been an academic for over 15 years and has been involved in education in various capacities for over 30 years. Peter talks with me today about STEM education and why he thinks it's more than just a curriculum and rather that it's an approach to learning. To understand this approach, we talk about a wide range of things which go beyond the technical details and get right into the philosophy of why we should be thinking about this at all. Peter is truly passionate about what he does and even has a dog named Einstein. In fact, we got so deep on some issues that we've split this interview into two parts. When talking about things as diverse as how to become a chef and Star Trek, it just seemed appropriate. I started by asking Peter just how he starts the conversation when talking about STEM as an approach to learning. Peter, you've been involved in education, uh, mainly technology-based education for a long time, a a couple of decades now, and you've also been a, a... a technology academic and so you would have seen or had plenty of opportunity to see curricula develop over the decades and STEM is just one of those. You say on your website though that STEM is not just a curriculum it's an approach to learning. When I read that I thought okay that's a very wide statement some people might go well okay what do you mean by that how do you how do you start that conversation with teachers you know about the approach? Yeah, um, well, thanks uh, for having me on, Colin, first of all. So it's, it's a good question. As, as you probably um, guessed, uh, it's one that I receive uh, frequently, uh, relatively frequently. So STEM is an acronym, but over the years, uh, I know it, became, it, it began as STEM with a individual letters, meaning like science, technology, education, and um, sorry, engineering and mathematics. Uh, and that meant that there are four core subjects or traditionally called subjects that come together and create a new kind of curriculum. But over the years that has evolved. So I come from an engineering background. So my, uh, I've, uh, as a kid, I always was tinkering with machines, uh, usually breaking them apart, <laughs> uh, almost always failing them, putting them back <laughs> together. So I, I never occupied I never took time really to think of the individual components of knowledge that is that came together by whichever engineering mind or team came together to build those things. I just saw the end result as being something that works. It's got a particular purpose, perhaps solves a problem or no, it does something useful. So um, that led me to what I call and what is called these days maker education, which, which is itself an approach to, to learning and to, uh, and to teaching. Now, if you think about maker education, unlike STEM, it, it's not an acronym. It's actually two words put together. And what mm. it says, what it means, what this approach to learning is, is that um, education uh, should be done uh, 
so that it combines whatever whatever knowledge needs to be combined in order to build something. That something could be like a video recorder from those old days with VHS video recorders. I'm working mm-hmm. a lot of those. Today it could be a mobile phone or it could be a satellite or a spaceship. It doesn't matter. It's a project. Now, in order for whatever we want to build to be built, we need to combine a lot of different um, areas of knowledge. So I was, I was listening to another podcast this morning when um, I took Einstein, the dog, out for a walk. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, wait, uh, a, wait, wait a second. Your dog's name is Einstein? Exactly, exactly. Yes, <laughs> so we called him Einstein. Um, there's, a, there's a story behind it, but another time perhaps. Um, so the, the, the podcast I was listening to was about a, um, a habitat in Hawaii, uh, about five or 6,000 um, meters in height where they're simulating Mars conditions. And that is a part of the Mars project of NASA. Now, the idea there is that they're trying to train people actually to learn from people who spent uh, a lot of time, like months and months, perhaps they've gone up to a year in isolated conditions where they can't go outside without protective equipment and they're stuck with five people and <laughs> that's it. Now you can imagine all the components for a project like that. You obviously need a whole psychology team to help out with people mm. and their relations in an enclosed environment, but you've got a lot of technical engineering problems. You've got a lot of project management there. You've got the science that these people need to do, which could be, I don't know, a geology, for example. Uh, it could be electronics, communications. Uh, uh, it could be the management of the management team. So it's a huge effort. Now, you can't strictly call that a STEM project, even though very often NASA projects are uh, seen as STEM projects. Hmm. But there's a lot more uh, acronyms, like the the acronym STEM would need to be much, much bigger if you wanted to be more accurate. And that's why I use MECA education instead of STEM education to describe the project-based or broader type of education approach to learning that I think is necessary in order for you know, the current generation growing up to be able to deal with problems in 2050 and beyond. Would you say that it's more like uh, your approach is something that you do rather than something that you know? As in STEM uh, education or maker education is something that you're involved in and it's something that creates things and you do rather than attending a class and learning about something saying, I know about that. Yes, uh, I think that's correct. So it's not about what you know even right now. Is your um, your mindset? Now, there's another good term to disp- describe that. Your mindset that yes, I can learn whatever is needed uh, in order to deal with a future situation that perhaps um, I cannot even suspect right now. So another, I want to give an analogy here. Um, let's say that um, you are interested in becoming a chef, right? Uh, so you go to chef school, <laughs> cooking school. I'm not sure what the appropriate name for that is, but you want to become a chef. So you go to the um, to the school, and you learn how to make, uh, I guess, Napolitano pizza, um, particular types of cake, uh, baked foods, maybe various types of bread. You can see each of those as individual subjects, either in a strict STEM curriculum or in a traditional, you know. 20th century type uh, education where you do your mathematics, you do your geography, you do your history, your English, um, ex- physical education, etc. Each one of those is the equivalent of pizza napolitana for the chef, 
types of bread, baked dishes, etc. Now, let's say that you learn those individual types of dishes. Would you call yourself a chef? Uh, I wouldn't, because what you know at that point are specific types of dishes. You need to start making uh, connections between what you've learned in order to understand at a deeper level what it is to be cooking an amazing meal. Same thing for a student, in order for a student to come out of school and, and say that I'm educated, um, they need to be able to make connections between, between all the different things that they have learned in school. They can't just say that I know mathematics, therefore I am educated. And there's a lot of contention about, um, there's something that you know, very often teachers argue is that you know, society is very complicated today, which means that every other year we need to introduce new subjects mm. in order to make sure that we cover all our bases. And again, that is not in the spirit of what STEM education, in, in particular, what maker education is all about, because the fact is that we don't really know what kind of subjects will be needed in the future. And therefore, my radical proposal is to not have subjects anymore. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds to me like you're almost suggesting that we need to consider what kind of a person someone becomes after they've, in inverted commas, completed their education or as they go through their education rather than what their test scores are and what they know. And and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment because I think that's, that's that's a very deep question to ask. Straight away, though, I would imagine that you'd get some pushback. So when you speak to teachers, oh, here's my approach to learning. They go, hang on a second. Wait, wait, I've been teaching for decades. I've got an approach to learning. I get my grades. You must get that sort of pushback, right? Yeah. uh, Look, in in most cases, uh, uh, teachers that I speak with, um, they, they tell me about the difficulties at a technical level, the difficulties of applying this new thing, STEM education. Um, the fact that they need to learn new tools, uh, they need to learn new subjects, uh, as <laughs> as the word is, new subjects um, to deliver them in uh, in a in a way that it will combine those four subjects that make up the STEM curricula. Uh, that is non-traditional to begin with, because you no know, teachers are trained to deliver one or two subjects uh, at a time in the school. Now you put four of them together. Uh, so the the difficulty there has to do with, you know, what do I do first? How do I train myself first? How do I become confident enough to be able to transmit that knowledge to my students? Um, how do I know whether I've done a good job? Like, how do I assess a STEM curricula if I if I don't use the traditional methodology of grades and exams? So all those things uh, are mentioned to me as uh, problems for teachers. Mm. And um, uh, now, what do I think <laughs> that the the response should be to those um, questions? I guess. Uh, and again, that that it comes out of my experience, and uh, I'm not claiming that uh, what I'm suggesting is the only right approach. Again, that the, the approach depends on the person that is doing the teaching, the circumstances, and the resources. But what again, what I would say would be to relax first of all. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's because, go with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so first of all, <laughs> relax. Uh, second is stop thinking about um, individual four subjects in STEM. 
or whatever other version of STEM you want to take into account and, and implement in your school, think about projects, right? So change STEM education with project-based education because now that gives you a new context, a new grounding. Mm. Now you can start thinking about projects. Um, what is a project? Well, a project is a, um, uh, I guess, an exercise by students, and I'm going to give a very broad description, an exercise by students, uh, um, ideally more than one. Uh, projects work better uh, in this context when you have uh, a small number of students involved in it. Um, uh, the purpose of a project is to give students the opportunity to explore, mm. right? You, you can you can give other, other definitions of what a project is. You can put in your project management hat on it, on, on your head, and then give a, a different definition. But in my opinion, as an educator, a project is an opportunity for a group of students to explore and in a way eventually discover themselves, discover what they're good at, right? Um, we don't really get that opportunity in the traditional education system. Certainly when I was a student, uh, primary, secondary, even university, my project is whatever my professor or my teacher would assign me. It would involve doing a little experiment, um, you know, collecting literature and writing a report, and that's it. There is a little bit of exploration there, but there is almost zero discovery. Mm. Um, I never was able to figure out who I am, what is it that I like to do through those projects. The What I'm suggesting to teachers is that instead of thinking of STEM as, you know, we've got to teach students these four subjects and combine them as much as possible. The, po the point there is not about the combination, it's about the um, opportunity for students to explore. It sounds to me like you're trying to reinvent the notion of the project because I think if you look at the way education is now, the seeds of project-based learning have certainly grown in the last couple of years. And it seems to be quite popular. I've seen that in classrooms, classrooms that I've visited uh, just recently. Um, but I guess what you're trying to get across is to, for people to realize the full potential of what this might be and to ask deeper questions about the outcomes within the students because sometimes it almost seems like the project is more important than the outcome that it brings in the student. Not that teachers would acti actively think that. I'm sure that they would like to think that there was some greater value, but it's, it's good to keep this front of mind. What, what other subjects, though, uh, might take um, a, a different approach to this? Because, for example, music might say, well, look, we've got an approach to learning and you know, music is not a project. Or some people might think it is, but music might have an entirely different construct. Is it is it fair to place that sort of a burden on STEM? Uh, I don't know what what uh, fair means in this context. To tell you the truth, well, let me let me just explain that a bit further because there's yep. so much attention in the media about the importance of STEM. You know, the governments are talking about it, universities are talking about it, schools are talking about it, people are doing all sorts of stuff about it, and it seems to be enormously important. I guess what I'm trying to say is. Is music, for example, also enormously important? Yeah, I, I got it. Uh, I, I think you are referring to um, neglect, a neglect issue 
there, right? right. So if we oh, put okay. a lot of emphasis or attention to STEM, and again, STEM in the narrow sense, not the project-based sense, but right. those four subjects, maybe plus one, a lot of people put uh, STEAM and uh, at the arts there as well. I guess music is part of that. Uh, but I, I still think the STEAM is just still very narrow <laughs> mm. description of what we're talking about here. So my answer to that is, okay, it really doesn't matter. Um, the when, when you stop talking about STEM and you start talking about either maker education or project-based education, then you're not confined by any classic uh, subjects or subjects in the classic sense of the, the word. I'll give you an example. So I am not a musical person. As I said, I'm an engineer. I, I like listening to music, but I don't know how to read music or I don't really understand the mechanics behind it in terms of, I know, uh, a written note in, in a musical canvas, how does it translate to a key on a piano? Uh, but I was playing around with a Arduino project and its purpose was to actually play a musical note. So I did have to understand some of the fundamental concepts of music and notes because I wanted to translate a, uh, a musical piece. I think it was just a, like a, a jingle, uh, a musical piece written in um, musical notation. I needed to translate that into um, a program, <laughs> mm. right? So I need to figure out uh, frequencies versus uh, musical notation and how does it apply on the piezo buzzer that I was using to make the noise. So I did jump into the world of music for uh, maybe one or two hours, which is the longest that I have ever done so. So you could call that STEAM, but again, I call it a project because that allowed me to explore uh, an, another dimension of human knowledge, mm. which I didn't have the opportunity to do so before. I did have the opportunity now. It made sense to me to go over, do a bit of Googling, because it's the other thing that, you know, we growing up, we never had the opportunity to have the human knowledge in our fingertips, just yeah. search away. Now we do. So again, the, if you look at Google, Google does not allow you to search based on a category. Uh, I want to search on mathematics, Google, and then you click on a drop-down menu, select the human knowledge component that you want to search in, and you do, no, just search. It's just one single search bar, uh, musical notes. That's it. And that same page contained scripts and it contained frequency charts and it contained other bunch of things that I found very useful. So again, just to go back to your original question, uh, I, I don't think that there is a risk of neglecting any part of human knowledge when we are really interested in implementing a project-based curriculum or a maker-type education. Let's just change tack here for a moment because if we're talking about uh, projects, problem-solving, etc., cetera, we're, we're assuming then that someone is the beneficiary of the solved problem, which means that someone is either uh, very relieved or consuming a product that has just been created which previously didn't exist. So. Moving more to uh, kind of a philosophical argument here, are we just creating a world of problem solvers and consumers? Where does citizenship, um, for example, where yeah. does citizenship play a role there? And we, and we were talking about this earlier, as in what kind of a person does someone become if they're, if they're a good project, like if they're a good maker and they're good at making projects and solving problems, what kind of a person do they become? Um, well, um, I... First of all, I don't see any problem with consumption and um, being a problem solver, especially being a problem solver. I think it's a really, really good thing to have going forward. Uh, you know, in, in, in the past, we, we had problems solved for us. We like, 
uh, we were very good at a very narrow type of problem solving. So we'd have the same job for like 50 years. <laughs> Actually still know people that are in the same job as I started straight out of university. And that is becoming less and less um, prevalent these days. So most people don't even have a, a job. They have lots of jobs at the same time. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> they are like contractors on Fiverr or uh, online, uh, you know, doing a little bit of this and that. And the pandemic has helped push us towards that yeah. with communications technologies. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, first of all, I think we need all kinds of people and especially citizens. So we need problem solvers, we need consumers, we need makers. Uh, maker is a word that I use interchangeably um, to mean uh, a creator, like someone who creates something new. It could be a work of art, it could be a new gadget, it could be a software application, it could be a Mars habitat. Uh, or technology that we need to get there. Um, but we need uh, even more diversity today uh, as, uh, as compared to the past because the world is a more complicated place. So now just to touch on the question of citizenship uh, for a moment, because I think um, that is important in the days that we live. We just um, um, witnessed uh, around the world uh, quite a few challenges to the democracy. Yes, I think democracy. our friends in I think our friends in America are asking themselves what citizenship is all about. <laughs> is it overvalued? <laughs> um, well, um, you can't really have democracy without this citizenship. And what citizenship means is to be able to understand the world around you, um, and to also be mindful of the challenges in, in the way that information is shared and provided. Uh, technology is. A big part of that, we all know Donald Trump with his Twitter feed and uh, how much havoc uh, something like that can um, can uh, you know bring about. Now imagine in 2050 what Twitter is going to be like, mm. what Facebook is going to be like, and what the technologies we have no idea about what they're going to be like that allow us to connect brain to brain and spread all kinds of information. If you don't understand how those things work today, imagine if imagine what the situation is going to be like in 2050 in terms of you know, being a true citizen, again, being, being involved in public political discourse, to be able to discuss ideas um, and to be able to identify sources of information, to be able to rate them according to uh, the risk profile, truthfulness profile and all that. So that, that takes us into a territory where, um, you know, information itself becomes extremely powerful, even more powerful than what it is today. It used to be gold mm. in the old days, right? It used to be gold, it used to be water, it used to be stuff, physical stuff. It's now information. And if the next generations are not able to somehow um, discern the truthfulness of different sources of information, then obviously citizenship is not gonna be possible. Wow, that's a bold statement. To find out what happens next, make sure you listen to the following episode where I dive a bit deeper by exploring how the writers of Star Trek provide a window into how this emerging reality will affect our next generations. You've been listening to Central Station. If you've enjoyed this story or would like to hear insight from other inspiring educators, make sure you subscribe to Central Station on your favourite podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Central. To find out more, visit the website central.com.au